2: Good morning! Good morning! Good morning! Good morning? You I mean to wish me a good morning? What do you mean that it is a good morning, whether I want it or not?
3: Please go away, let me speak for the
0: love of God! Push pops, slap bands, tribal prints, and solar shades. Just some of the stupid shit we used to love in the 90s. Millie Vanilli, Betty Boo, even Divine Brown bonafide tricksters of their time. (laughs) Welcome to the 90s, and good morning. You're listening to Good Movie Monday, the podcast presented by Fakeshemp.net. Find us on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts from. It's radical to be here today. My name is Glenn Cochran, and I'll be your spin doctor for the episode, and joining me as he does every week is the president of the Steve Urkel Fan Club, Ben Halwig. Hey, mate. How are you?
4: I've fallen, and I can't get up.
0: Now there's a reference for you. I wonder if anybody listening will understand what that is.
4: I, would, I certainly hope not. <laughs> the Americans might. Yeah, I mean, look. To be honest with you, once you said the, the name Betty Boo, I stopped really thinking of anything else.
0: Uh, <laughs> well, Betty Boo just doing the do.
4: I love that you mentioned. I love that you mentioned her with Millie Vanilli, two famous uh, d- uh, dubbed artists.
0: May have been intentional.
4: Well, I believe that uh, at least I think Betty Boo actually did sing uh, the songs. Uh, <laughs> That's true. That she, I mean, she just she just had trouble performing them live, or at least that, that one gig, which I guess is fair enough. I mean, cares. I like it. I like <laughs> it to sound like it sounds on the on the uh, single that I bought. <laughs> though I don't mind if they if they dub themselves.
0: Uh... One minute in and we're already all over the place. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Coming up, our special guest is Tara Kerr, an influencer, for lack of a better word, whose TikTok account has blown up over the last six months, thanks in part to her focus on 90s nostalgia. She has hundreds of thousands of followers, and I thought it would be cool to invite her along to look back on the cool stuff from that decade. Ben and I will also get stuck into some of our favorite 90s movies in a few minutes' time. But first, let's just get stuck straight into it, Ben. Uh, We'll take a quick look at some of the news from the past week. And I guess the big news is the fact that Warner Brothers are severing their theatrical ties with Village Roadshow in Australia and New Zealand. And I guess the the write-in was kind of on the wall for a little while with this one. What do you make of this?
4: Look, it's one of those things that there there are a bunch of deals with all of the US studios and who distributes them here in Australia. At the end of the day, how much difference does it does it really make to the end consumer uh like i mean i liked that i when i wanted to book a film at monster fest or any friday fright night or whatever all i would have to do is go to roadshow and they would pretty much have this massive catalogue so it was like a one stop shop um mm-hmm. but apart from that i don't, I don't... Who cares?
0: Yeah. Well, I guess for for those people that listening that don't know how this stuff works, is that most big studios contract their distribution of their films to other companies. And in this case, Roadshow have been exhibiting Warner's titles for over 20 years. Um, Warner have announced that they will not be renewing their contract, but instead Universal Pictures will be taking over the reins. So I guess within the industry, it's big news. And it it kind of marks the next evolution of Universal's domination, if you will.
4: Yeah. (laughs) total domination <laughs> uh, domination domination
0: uh, well but but Road, Roadshow's contract with uh, warner brothers home entertainment um also expires in december so i imagine that will be the next to go but they have said that they're not uh severing ties when it comes to their other business entities like theme parks and whatnot which is a big pocket in their purse i mean
4: the reason they do it is because they want to save money on logistics like rocho have a logistics network here in australia the same as universal do um mm. whereas whereas warner brothers it did have but then decided to close it all down which i mean it's it, it is a kind of common occurrence like that we've had a lot of closures like i think studio canal and um which mm-hmm. is ironic because they own hoyt's uh but uh <laughs> you know there's there are a lot of these companies that have closed melbourne offices and closed sydney offices and have amalgamated with sony and with uh roadshow and with universal so you know, it's a, yep. it's an ever-shifting tide.
0: You're correct. And um, the other news that caught my attention this week, simply because Ben loves James Bond so much, while our old mate Keith fucking hates it, <laughs> Michael Lonsdale, who played the villainous Hugo Drax in Moonraker, has died at the age of 89. He was a great actor. He appeared in dozens of movies, including Day of the Jackal and Ronan. Name of the Rose, which we spoke about last week, just to name some. So there you go. Another, I think... Since in during the course of this show, we've had quite a few Bond people drop off the perch, sadly.
4: And funnily enough, not one of them has died of COVID nineteen. That's true. So mm. there you go. People just sometimes people just die. <laughs> they do,
0: <laughs> which keeps which keeps our content fresh. It's
4: the, it's the <laughs> most profound thing I've ever said. <laughs>
0: Well, I don't have much more in the news front, but uh, GMA will be dropping by soon to give you the full week's movie news rundown. Uh, but right now, it's Jarrett's turn.
5: Hey, this is Jarrett, and welcome to PE Class. Now, this week, there are zero distributors releasing films on home entertainment. That's right, there's nothing coming out on DVD, Blu-ray, or 4K Ultra HD, that's correct. Not a single distributor could shit out an old John Wayne title or a Danny Trejo DTV vehicle on home entertainment this week. There is nothing coming out. (laughs) Ah, what a boring time to be alive. But that said, there is some good news because on October 7th, Disney are going to release Home Alone and Hocus Pocus on 4K Ultra HD, that's correct. Both of those titles, one from the Disney Library and one from the Fox Library, are headed to 4K Ultra HD locally. Now they are coming out as 4K only discs, they will not include the Blu-ray which means you will not get any special features. But at a recommended retail price of around $25 a pop, I don't mind so much. Look, I'll hold on to my Blu-ray if I want those special features. I want to see the film in 4K, and in the instance of Hocus Pocus, I want to hear it with Dolby Atmos. So it's pretty exciting to know that these catalogue titles are going to be coming out from Disney locally. Some other exciting news is Full Metal Jacket is coming to 4K Ultra HD in Australia also. Now whilst this title has just released in the US and the UK, we'll have to wait a little longer for it in Australia. It's coming out on October 28th. But I don't mind waiting because it's only going to be around $25 retail and this one will actually have the 4K Ultra HD and the Blu-ray discs together. So you'll get all the special feature content, all archival content from the previous DVD and Blu-ray releases. There's nothing new. But that said, it's a brand new 4K scan and restoration of Stanley Kubrick's classics. So I can't wait. Anyway, that's me for this week and at least I could bring you some news. So until next week, stay physical. They break and enter, but they're not thieves. We're getting too old for this. They know your secrets, but they're not spies. Mr. Bishop, do you mind if I take a look? Carl. Now, they've been hired to find a secret. Your job is to find that little black box. More powerful than any weapon. Give me the box, Marty. There isn't a government on this planet that wouldn't kill us all for that thing.
3: have almost got us.
5: Starts tomorrow in
4: select areas and Friday everywhere.
0: Uh, ben, it's uh, it's time to log into the 90s, mate. Um, do you want to just hit that dial up?
4: Yep, I've hung up the phone, so we can we're good to go.
0: Excellent. Well, it's good to be here, Uh, but the really shit part of this is that one episode really cannot possibly cover the 90s, and it's such a huge decade for cinema, as all decades are, but there's something, I I think, that's kind of genre-defining about the 90s. I immediately think of things like Silence of the Lambs and Seven, and even in dramatic terms, you've got Driving Miss Daisy, Fried Green Tomatoes, Shawshank, Forrest Gump, the list could go on for days.
4: Decades. The list could go on for decades.
0: (laughs) So I think what we should do is just each pick two movies from three specific genres: comedy, action, and horror, and just talk about those. And then maybe later down the track, we can uh, dedicate more time to this kind of stuff. Um, now, Ben, yes, em. we really know how to talk. So the challenge here is going to be landing this block in a timely fashion. So let's let's try to keep it brief, maybe. All right. No promises. <laughs> that. Yeah, no point saying that. Really, is there? <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's start with comedy. Um, I'll go first, and then maybe we'll take in turns. All right,
4: and the challenge here, like we haven't told each other what our films are, so the challenge is not to double up. Uh, this is going to be very interesting.
0: Yes. Now, just, uh, just some, let me just state for this. Uh, for me, I'm going on nostalgia. These are films that I saw theatrically, and they left a big impression on me, so I've decided to go with movies that I have not spoken about previously on the show. So people that usually listen to me gush over things like Warlock and Tremors, I'm not going to do that. Um, However, quick plug. Speaking of tremors, Michael Gross, Bert Gummer himself, will be guesting on the show next month. So make sure you subscribe to our show and don't miss out on that. All right. But comedy, here we go. My first comedy has to be Don't Tell Mum the Babysitter's Dead. Ooh. Now, I saw this one with friends at the cinema when it came out. Kind of felt like a big deal to me at the time, this film. I felt like the publicity for it was huge, but it's kind of just fallen under the radar after all these years. Hardly ever gets spoken about. Christina Applegate, Keith Coogan, and David Duchovny's in this one, and it was directed by Stephen Herrick, the guy behind Bill and Ted and Mighty Ducks and Mr. Holland's Opus. And essentially, it's just about a bunch of kids running amok after their babysitter dies. Completely inappropriate, completely hilarious, would never get made today. And I think it came right off the back of Weekend at Bernie's, and there was like a, there was a, there was a mood for corpses at the time.
4: Right. And I think it was, I mean, Christina Applegate was right, was coming off uh, or was still doing uh, Mad, uh, Jesus. Married with Children. Married with Children. I was about to say Mad About You. And I'm like, "Jeez, that would have been a great show if it would have been Christina Applegate and Mad About You.
0: <laughs> would have made for a good crossover. Yeah,
4: <laughs> yeah that would have been fantastic. Uh our <laughs> Psycho Dad, like they, like he's got to do the jingle for Psycho Dad. That would be great. <laughs>
0: But I love this movie, and I watched it again probably about six months ago and forgot how much I liked it. it It just never gets referenced anymore. And it was like, like you said, she came off that TV show and she was like the headliner and it was a big deal for her to be in a movie at the time.
4: Yeah, it was huge. I remember um, like I remember it on video like being like the blockbuster had two hundred copies of it. like it was the yep. the movie of that that month. Yep. Um, what, what have you got? Uh, okay, well, uh, look, I, I chose, I try to choose movies that, um, like, I try to stay away from the obvious ones, um, hmm. things like Big Lebowski and stuff like that, which yeah, you know, everyone loves and has, we've, everyone's talked about a million times. So my first one uh, is from 1998, directed by Bob Saget.
0: <laughs>
4: uh, it is Norm McDonald's Dirty Work. How did I know you
0: were going to say that one? I deliberately didn't because <laughs> I suspected you would. <laughs>
4: Uh, It is. It's one of my all-time favorite films. I only saw this on on video. Uh, A friend of mine, Anthony, was working uh, at uh, Total Video in Ashwood, and he he closed the shop so we could sit there and watch it without being disturbed (laughs) by annoying customers (laughs) one morning. Uh, Basically, it's uh, Norm Macdonald and his good friend, Artie Lang, uh, trying to come up with money to buy their um, uh, Artie Lang's ailing father's A New Heart. Uh, and the father is played by Jack <laughs> Warden, who is whose only two interests in life are uh, alcohol and whores. <laughs> uh, or
0: as Norm Macdonald would say, Hores. whores. <laughs>
4: <laughs> and uh, uh, his doctor is played by Chevy Chase, who has a gambling problem. Uh, who he <laughs> he bet on Mr. T against Rocky in Rocky Three because it had great odds. <laughs> um there's also it also like christopher mcdonald is the villain who's like he's i think that may have been one of his early turns as a villain in, in films and he's one of the great cinematic villains um, yep trailer howard the stunning trailer howard from two guys a girl and a pizza place uh though later on they axe the pizza place part of it that show uh is the love interest uh, don rickles pops up it's phenomenal it's, it's really good Oh, and they, Norm McDonald- the whole premise of the show, sorry, is they're trying to get money to get uh, Jack Warden a new heart and they start a business getting revenge for people who don't have the balls to get revenge themselves. And so they basically yes. just pull a bunch of pranks on people.
0: Yep. And Norm MacDonald is one of my favorite human beings in general. And this was like, this was pinnacle stuff for me with him. Absolutely
4: love it. I and mean, this is his first starring role. I think he only did two movies from memory, this and Screwed. Uh, and yep. I think this was a superior, though. Screwed did have Dave Chappelle and Danny DeVito, who both did amazing things in that film.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, for my second one, I've gone with something that is pretty typical, but I couldn't go past it because I love it so much. Uh, I've gone with City Slickers. Um, and wow. Talk about talk about a brilliant film. I mean, this is hilarious, dramatic, exciting. It's action, comedy, drama, all wrapped in one. Billy Crystal, Daniel Stern and Bruno Kirby with Jack Palance's Oscar-winning turn um, as Curly. I saw this one theatrically I was really young and... I've probably watched it about 30 times over the year, and I think it really endures well because it's so sincere and the the production sign is incredible. Like, you'd swear you're watching one of those classic Hollywood westerns. And, look, if you've never seen City Slickers and you're listening to this, then, Jesus Christ, go out and watch it immediately. It's just brilliant. It's a great
4: fish out of water movie or three three fish out of water.
0: Do you remember that scene when, when Daniel Stern is grinding? No, Billy Billy Crystal is grinding his coffee. Yeah. And the st- he causes a stampede. It doesn't get much funnier than that. <laughs> and look, City Slickers 2, it must be said, is not half bad either.
4: And look, to be honest, City Slickers is the reason I know that it is possible to do one ha- one-armed one push-ups. <laughs> if it wasn't for that film, I wouldn't have thought it was possible. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Now that's a reference. Now just if, if you're out there you don't know what I'm talking about, just Google Jack Pollant's one um push ups and uh, it is it is an amazing sight to see.
0: <laughs> Main stage at the Oscars, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Hilarious. No
4: reason for no, it either. Just to prove that he could. He still had it. <laughs> and he had he had more at eighty than I have now at forty.
0: <laughs> that's true. Me too. What do you got next?
4: Uh, my second film is an Australian film that has recently got a bit of coverage because Umbrella are re-releasing it on Blu-ray shortly. It is thank, thank God. Nadia Tass's The Big Steal.
0: Thank God. I deliberately avoided this one because I talk about it too, too much, much. Yeah.
4: yeah. <laughs> like it just squeaks in at 1990. Uh, written by uh, her partner in crime, David Parker. Stars Ben Mendelsohn, Claudia Cavan. Uh, Damon Harriman, who is now making it big overseas, Angelo mm-hmm. d'Angelo uh, and in a in a in a scene stealing performance, Steve Bisley as the sleazy secondhand car dealer. Uh, basically the, the movie if you Gordon, you Gordon Farkas. Gordon Farkas, that's right. Uh, if you haven't seen the film, uh, Ben Mendelssohn is desperately in love with Claudia Carvan, who he thinks doesn't know he's alive and to impress her he, tries to uh, he pretends that he's got a jag so to get a jag he trades in his parents old uh car said this nissan this cedric for a jag that it turns out is a complete piece of shit because <laughs> uh steve bisley who is the, a second-hand car dealer a sleazy second-hand car dealer uh sells sells cars with excellent p- motors and stuff and then the minute the owner turns their back he replaces it with shitty <laughs> motors and uh and uh, does all sorts of dodgy things so the rest of the film is basically Ben Mendelsohn trying to uh, get his uh, have it, have his date with Claudia Carvan and not get tagged for having the shitty car and get his his. Uh, his good car, his good motor back off Steve Bisley.
0: And there lies the title, The Big big Steal, because they they essentially steal the engine from the good one to swap it out. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Look, this is my absolute number one favourite Australian film of all time. And I recently uh, parted ways with um, Scarefest. I sort of stood away from my duties there. So to say goodbye, I did a massive top 10, you know, Aussie films you must see, and my number one was The Big big Steal. I can't wait for that Blu-ray. Cannot wait for it. Yeah, I'm
4: really looking forward to it. I'm curious now. What was on your? What was the other nine films on that list?
0: Well, I tailored it more for that audience. Stuff that, like, if it was my personal like ultimate list, not all of these would make the cut. But um, stuff like Mystery Road, just for a film noir sense. Um, you know, go back with Romper Stomper, Bad Boy Bubby, Mystery Road. Um, it's all on our Facebook and uh, YouTube. You can go watch it. But i will go I'm
4: going to I'm yes. gonna check that out. Check
0: yeah, there were no horror films on it because I'd spent the last 12 months talking about horror exclusively. <laughs> so <laughs> Kenny was in there because I just adore Kenny.
4: That In some ways, that is a horror film. I mean, the guy cleans <laughs> toilets for a living.
0: I, I don't know a more likable character in Australian cinema, though.
4: No, that's a good point.
0: All right, let's go on to action. Um, this is really goddamn hard. There's just too many action movies that came from this decade, but um, I'm going to go with The Last Boy Scout from 1991. Oh, a classic. Simply because it kind of stands alone for me. Like Bruce Willis, Damon Waynes, Shane Black and Tony Scott, like what a combination. And I think it was, it was an R rated film too in Australia. And I personally think it's one of the best things Bruce Willis has done outside of Die Hard. Super snappy, fast paced. And it's all about a cop and a football player who get caught up in a sort of a murder that's linked to the corrupt football league. And yeah, it's, it's, on par for me with
4: lethal weapon yeah i i think it's i enjoy it a lot more than i enjoy the lethal weapon movies um mm. and it also like a heli berry as a stripper uh um what's it chelsea field uh plays his wife uh, and uh, yep. and danielle harris a, a six-year-old or a, i think it should be six she's probably 10 10-year-old danielle harris as his smart mouth daughter That's Uh, right. Who is amazing. Like, she steals, she almost steals the picture. She's so good. And who the villains are like Taylor Negron and, uh, and, uh, I can't remember the guy's name. He's got a, he's got a, he's got a weird first name. Um, he's in Sons of Anarchy. He's the, the guy who does the whole thing by the pool. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's like, can I get a light and it punches him in the face? He goes, do that again. I'll kill you. Oh. (laughs) Uh,
0: But I, I adore Tony Scott movies, particularly from that era. Like, he just had something about him. Like I would take a Tony Scott film from the nineties over a Ridley Scott film from the nineties. Well
4: it's interesting, isn't it, how divergent their their careers went. Like Tony Scott is much more kind of mainstream, whereas yep. Ridley was always kind of more in the art house. So like I think you there's a greater chance it was very hit and miss with Ridley. Like he did mm-hmm. some he did some phenomenal films and he did some kind of stinkers, whereas Tony Scott was always much more like good all the time at a level. Yeah.
0: Yes, and, and Tony Scott I think that was because of his partnership with Jerry Bruckheimer. Yeah. Like there was, you know, that was the winning combo right there. Yeah, and Don Simpson, but, and hey, but Don then, Simpson
4: back in the day too. Yeah,
0: yes, but even then like Tony Scott took a few chances with stuff like, you know, True Romance and, and made Yeah. weirder films that weren't quite mainstream.
4: Yeah, that is true. That's true. I keep forgetting about True True Romance is a Tony Scott film.
0: I know, <laughs> it's bizarre. Uh, what have you got for your first action? Uh
4: okay, I've gone for 1998's Deep Rising. Now, technically, uh, this could slot into the horror uh, yeah. section, but I had, I've had i got other films in the horror section, so I decided to include it here in the action uh, section. It was directed by Stephen Summers before he hit it big with the Mummy uh, franchise. Uh yep. stars Treat Williams, Wes Studi, Kevin J. O'Connor, Fumpka Janssen, and uh, Jason Fleming, and uh, Digimon uh, Haosu, who's I can never pronounce his name, pop up as well <laughs> basically it is a giant sea monster movie aboard a um ocean liner a cruise a yeah. uh, a uh, fancy pants cruise ship and uh the creature is awesome i uh, think treat Tr- williams and his and west Street, they're all like thieves coming to to uh, rob the rich people on the on the boat and get caught up in the in the giant kind of monster uh thing happening i think famka jansen is also a thief but she's actually invited to the <laughs> to the party and she's stealing stuff from within but you know then they have they have to escape through the bowels of the ship it is a phenomenal action film uh really good like really good special effects for that period when cgi was just coming in and there are a lot of like dodgy Mm -hmm. um special effects driven movies things like beowulf and stuff like that and then this one came along where this, this the effects are really good they really work with the film are integrated really well there's lots of awesome kills there's lots of awesome action it's just a really really strong film in my opinion
0: i agree completely but it's sort of it's that, that one's well and truly fallen under the radar over the years mm. i i haven't even seen it on dvd like vhs was the last time i saw that film i used
4: to love it ah, right. no well you think i think kino lauber released a a blu-ray of it not too long ago like a, a couple of years ago i funnily enough under their studio classics label which <laughs> uh i mean i don't know if this counts as a studio classic i don't know if it's old enough
0: well Funny, it's it's very similar to my first horror film when we get to that. But um, my second action film, uh, I kind of feel the same way about this as I did with Last Boy Scout. I'm going with Showdown in Little Tokyo. Oh, what a classic! uh, From 1991, Dolph Lundgren and Brandon Lee. Um, and this was sort of made when that Oriental themed action movie craze was coming to the tail end. You know, it was it was on its way out, and I think that's maybe why it didn't sort of you know hit the spot like. The other ones did, but it's about two cops hunting down a Yakuza killer in Los Angeles, and they um uh, they have a witness in production, and and the usual action ensues. It's it's short, it's snappy, it's very funny, and a product of its time. I love it. Like it doesn't hold up particularly well, but it's
4: super fun. I really want to check it out again. I remember Tear Carrera. I think Tia Carrera is in it as yeah. Dolph Lundgren's kind of love interest, and the way um, I can never pronounce his name, but Carrie the Yeah. Uh, the 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 villain of the film, um, like he kills people. It's the one where he's he has he has sex with women from behind, and while he's while he's pounding away, he pulls out a samurai sword and cuts their head off. Because you know, yeah.
0: I mean, uh, once again, like this is also a a completely R-rated film from its time.
4: Yeah, fantastic. I don't
0: know what it is about it. Like I think it. I mean, it's a very it's a very hokey kind of movie. It's just, I guess you'd call it, you know, flimsy, but. It does hold up well. Richard Lester directed it.
4: I think it was no, the Mark, um, was
0: it? no Mark Mark, Mark Lester. Lester.
4: It. I think it was like the. I mean, I think it did get a theatrical release, but I always think of it as the uh, the home video version of Rising Sun, which was a Sean Connery, Wesley Snipes, yeah, like very funnily enough, Tear Career is also in Rising Sun, and so is Kerry. He, uh, <laughs> is uh is in it as well um and very mm. kind of similar thing but at least that one takes place in japan like it's a they're, they're and they're both kind of black rainy yeah enough.
0: yes well there were only like five names on the um the the casting list back yeah. then of, you know,
4: Ori- <laughs> oriental actors that were great at playing villains because that because because he was a, he was also the villain in in baywatch as well the one who kills uh mitch's <laughs> fiance and stuff <laughs> Yeah, he's great. He's a great actor. He was in a he was in a couple of great TV series as well. I really like him. I just can't pronounce his name to save myself.
0: All right. So what's your next one?
4: My next one. I couldn't I couldn't let this uh, go past without talking about the great man Jim winorski and his <laughs> nineteen ninety-six uh director video classic Demolition High. <laughs> yeah. Starring Corey Haim, Alan Thick, uh, and Jeff Jeff Cober, uh, who was born to play a villain. Uh, as as the bad guys, um, Melissa Brissell pops up because uh, if you're in a Jim winorski film, you do need to have a busty, you need to have a busty babe in there somewhere, even if it is set in a high school. Uh, basically, uh, Corey Haim is a like a New York kind of cool New York kid whose father forces him to move to the suburbs, where he takes he's taken a job as a police chief, and Alan Thicke is his father. Um, and he's sent to a school where he's a bit of an outsider. Uh, until one day, a gang of nuclear terrorists on the run from the police <laughs> crash land the school and hold <laughs> all the students hostage, except mm-hmm. for Corey Haim, who escapes. And uh, And it's very kind of Home alone but not comedy. Uh, well,
0: it's it's the Jim Winowski answer to Toy Soldiers. Yeah, right?
4: that's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Now I have to admit I got I got to admit I know the film, but I had no idea Wynoski had directed that one.
4: Yeah, I mean I, I'm not sure if that was initially if that was one that he'd done under a pseudonym. The uh, the VHS uh, tape that I have does not mention the director, or no, it does no, and he's, don't, it is under his name under Jim Wainoski. Well, that's interesting because like it's I think even
0: though it was like a director video kind of release, I recall that one being quite good. Like you know it hmm. wasn't. A cheap movie by any means when you watched it that felt like every other studio kind of movie
4: yeah no look i mean and that is the mark of jim Minorsky at, at that period like all his movies were actually yeah. quite good despite the fact that they would have had you know three hundred thousand yeah. dollar budgets and there is a sequel there's demolition university as well
0: yes i was i was gonna yeah. ask about that one did he direct <laughs> that too
4: i believe so i haven't seen it i have not funnily enough because i do not have it on tape i don't know if we got a vhs release here uh, but I think the, it got a really cheap a really cheap
0: um DVD release here through like,
4: like Magnet Pacific or something. Or yes, Force? one of those
0: sort of labels. I think it was Force. Force yeah, yeah.
4: That, that sounds about right.
0: <laughs> it had all the ghosting on it. You know when the DVDs back then had ghost in <laughs> across the screen? <laughs> all right. So let's um let's move on to horror. Now this is where I was saying I've got one that's similar to Deep Rising. Um trying to select 90s horror movies um that I haven't discussed in this podcast is practically impossible. But one I don't think I've mentioned is 1997's The Relic starring Good. Peter Hyam, uh, sorry, directed by Peter Hyam, starring Penelope Ann Miller and Tom Sizemore. And it's about a reptilian monster that's unleashed and goes on a rampage in a museum. Um, this is classic creature feature stuff. The, the effects are great. It's very minimal because it's all dark. So they've got away with, you know, the creature being CGI without looking too tacky. And... I think it's genuinely scary, but the production design is incredible. And the fact that they weren't a lister headliners like Penel- Penelope Ann Miller and Tom Sizemore were, you know, they were secondary cast members in every other film. So I think having them in the lead kind of upped the production value.
4: Mm. Well, I think had, had she just come off the shadow or was just about to do the shadow uh, at that point. I remember it coming out. I remember the relic. Mimic and Phantoms all seemingly felt like they all came around at around the same time.
0: Yeah. It was a real throw up for me between the Relic and Mimic Like on, on this episode. I just wasn't sure which one to talk about, but I think the Relic is the one that doesn't get discussed enough just because you've got Guillermo del Toro directing the other, you know, Peter Hams. Yeah. is, I, I mentioned him last week when I talked about 2010, just a completely undervalued director of his time. Mm. So there you go.
4: Well, my, my first pick is also a creature feature. Uh, It is 1993's Ticks. (laughs) Directed by Tony Randall uh, starring and basically the plot of this film is uh, Peter Scolari and uh, Rosalind Allen, who who listeners may remember from Sequest DSV, take a bunch of street kids and the street kids are are amazing. There's uh, Amy Dolans, uh, Seth Green and uh, my my personal favourite, Alfonso Ribeiro, who Listeners may know as Carlton from the Fresh Prince of Bel Air, playing a playing a tough like you know tough street kid. Uh, they take him to this kind of camp in the in the in the woods as a kind of you know a weekend getaway type thing for these you know it's like a community center type thing. I think their parole officers or something are forcing them to go or you know something like that. And um, then of course uh, Clint Howard <laughs> uh, mixes ticks with some radioactive ooze and they become huge and man-eating and there are some awesome there are great kind of like uh ticks inside people who who burst out of like you know bodies and uh, awesome people's heads and there's a giant tick at the end and it's 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 just an amazing film
0: yes excellent um I've got another creature feature for you too, uh, a tacky one that uh, I may lose a bit of credit over, but you know I've got no fucks to give about that. So the movie is 1999's Bats, starring Lou Diamond Ooh. Phillips.
4: And a, stinking
0: turd, a stinking turd to most, but a creature feature, you know, haven for me. It was the, the interesting thing about this one. It was written by John Logan. Now this is the guy that wrote Skyfall, Spectre, The Aviator, Any Given Sunday, Last Samurai. Like that's the guy that wrote Bats.
4: Jeez, well, that's one good movie out of. Uh... <laughs> no, I love I love the Last Samurai. I haven't seen Bats. I remember when it came out, and I really wanted to see it, and, mm-hmm. and I don't know why I didn't. And I've, it's been one that I've been wanting to rectify ever since. And I do have it on tape somewhere, but I I can't find it.
0: Look, I think I love it when respectable filmmakers come from these sort of humble B-movie beginnings, and this is a super fun movie. Um, I don't think it, There's not much reason to ridicule it. I think the, the CGI in it's quite good. Um, the, it's, it's no different from any other B-movie like The Blob or whatever. It's the same generic kind of formula, just with bats, and yeah, it just works for me. Uh, well worth a revisit. I love Lou Diamond Phillips. Wish he would uh, headline more movies that aren't Cop and a
4: Half 2. Yeah, when's, when's that the late time for a late sequel for uh, The Cowboy Way? Or no, no, sorry. No, he's not in Cowboy Way. He's in Renegades. Sorry, Renegades. Renegades. A late, a late sequel to Renegades. Sure. Um, we, should
0: just, we should just go and pillage the, the 90s and make crappy sequels. Oh, yeah. man. Let's start a company. <laughs> with, Let's start a company. With
4: their kid. We'll get Adam Beach to play uh, Lou Diamond Phillips' son.
0: Oh, babe, I've, I've just
4: been... exhausted the two Native American <laughs> actors that I know
0: we should get on to we should get on shudder and say hey join join with us we'll make this company yeah. and we'll just make out some of the worst sequels you can think of and they're going to be great
4: it's like uh, was it castle was it castle rock not castle rock what was the name of that company that um that did house on haunted hill and 13 ghosts oh
0: um yeah dark castle
4: dark castle yeah it was just just do yeah stuff like that <laughs> like just these remakes of uh <laughs> yeah. a bit of 90s movies it'd be amazing
0: yeah all right what have you got uh
4: my second uh film is sort of a creature feature but not really uh it's 1994's wolf uh yeah it's a fantastic film directed by mike nichols uh starring jack nicholson michelle pfeiffer uh james spader and christopher Plummer. basically jack uh, jack nicholson plays an aging publisher who's kind of being forced out of his job and i think one day while walking home after a party he gets i think gets bitten by like a a bum that's actually like a you know a, a werewolf like it's a he's not a bum he's like a i think he's someone he's sick or something like he's out of control like no, is, it, is that what happens
0: no he gets he has a car accident and um on the side of the road and gets attacked by wolf in, the, in woods. the woods right that's right on yeah 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 and um and james Bader plays like his colleague that's sort of hungry for his position <laughs> yeah he's to the one trying, to, trying to push him out he's yeah.
4: supposed to be his protege and tries to push him out and uh yep. Uh, with Christopher Plummer, who's the owner of the publishing house. But um, once, once Jack Nicholson gets the uh, werewolf bug, he develops a whole bunch of uh, self-confidence and uh, yep. does awesome things. Like he pisses all over James Spader's shoes yes. and screws him out of the job and starts, you know, starts a thing with Michelle Pfeiffer, because why wouldn't you if you're Jack Nicholson? Um, you know, and then they have...
0: And she she's Christopher Plummer's daughter. She is
4: Christopher Plummer's daughter, yeah. So he bangs the boss's daughter. Yeah. Uh, shits all over his uh, former protégé. <laughs> and, then, and then in the process, at some point, he actually, he bites James Spader. So then the end of the film is them having a werewolf fight uh, all it's across New York. It's amazing.
0: Fantastic stuff. The, the, the particular showdown in the barn when they yeah. have each other, like two dogs circling. It is awesome. It's one of my favourite werewolf films, actually. And I think it's, I'd have to say top 10, Jack, Jack Nicholson performances for me.
4: Yeah. Like it's, it's really good. And he's interact, like he's married and there's issues there and there's a lot, there's a lot in the film. Um, yeah. and it's
0: like, I remember uh, reading somewhere, um, an interview. I don't know if it was with Jack Nicholson or with Mike Nichols, but they were talking about how Jack Nicholson's commitment to this. Like he was the one that spearheaded the film and he was so invested in the werewolf mythology that he sort of, he read every bit of literature he could. Like he really tried to become a dog you know, and I think it shows on screen. He really commits to it.
4: The thing that's really remarkable for a movie in the nineties is the makeup is subtle. Like they don't, they don't go kind of the Benicio del Toro route where the wolf man is this giant beat. Like they actually really kind of work with um, the actor's features and stuff and tie it all in and blend it in so that, you know, they do have the kind of wolf and features, but it's, it's not ridiculous. They don't look like a CGI creation.
0: They practically just give him, like, mutton chops, um, yellow eyes, and some, some incisors. Yeah. That's it. Basically, that's yeah. it, yeah. Very, very clever. I love it. Um, well, there we go. Well, we got through it. Um, as expected, I think that probably took way longer than it was supposed to, but I think we were pretty restrained. I think that was pretty, I think, yeah. pretty good. I think there's a lot left unsaid. <laughs> oh, is there what? So, more shows coming up, I reckon. Um, but without further delay, here's Guillermo, and then after that, uh, Tara Town.
6: What's happening everybody, it's Guillermo me here again from ScreenRealm.com Happy to be back on Good Movie Monday Let's talk a little bit about what we've covered on the website in the past week Kicking off with what sounds like a Netflix movie that's just made for awards Bradley Cooper is directing a biopic on renowned composer and conductor Leonard Bernstein Known for West Side Story and On the Waterfront He'll also be starring as Bernstein and has co-written the screenplay with Joss Singer Known for Spotlight, The Post and First Man Cooper has been developing the film for around 3 years now and he's finally found his co-star, Oscar nominee Carey Mulligan, whose credits include Never Let Me Go and Education and Shame. Mulligan will be starring as Felicia Montalegre-Cohen Bernstein, the Chilean stage and television actress who was married to Leonard for 25 years. In a statement, Cooper said, I was struck by Carrie ever since I saw her on stage many years ago and I haven't missed a performance of her since. I am humbled to be working with such a mammoth talent, as well as such a kind person in Carrie. Cooper has been working on this one with the blessing and input of the Bernstein family, who have said that they are very happy to have Mulligan in the role of their mother. Definitely looking forward to seeing how Cooper follows up 2019's A Star Is Born. And in more Netflix news, the streaming giant has forked out $30 million to acquire worldwide rights to The Guilty, starring Jake Gyllenhaal and directed by Antoine Fuqua, known for Training Day and The Equalizer. The film will be taking place over the course of a single morning and will be following a 911 dispatch call operator, played by Gyllenhaal. Get ready to feel the tension as he tries to save a caller who's in grave danger but he soon discovers that nothing is as it seems and facing the truth will be the only way out of this situation. This is actually a remake of a 2018 Danish thriller that is absolutely a must see. Screen Realm actually had a review from Glenn go up in 2019. He gave it five stars, calling it a masterclass in suspense. In a statement, Gillian Howell said, I couldn't be more excited to work with Antoine again. Our time together on Southpaw, I love that film by the way. Was one of the greatest artistic experiences of my career and I cannot wait to be back on set with him again. The Guilty is a special story and one that we all feel very close to. Ryan Gosling, who played a stuntman in Drive and The Place Beyond the Pines, will be doing so once again in a stuntman action drama directed by David Leitch, known for Deadpool 2, Atomic Blonde and Hobbs and Shaw. Universal Pictures came out on top of a big bidding war that reportedly passed $125 million dollars. The film has been called The Fall Guy and is believed to be in the vein of the 1980s TV show of the same name. Could be an all-out adaptation, but that doesn't seem to have been confirmed. The script is going to be coming from Drew Pearce, who worked with Leech on Hobbs & Shaw. This project has been stuck in development hell for quite a number of years now. In 2013, director MCG, known for Charlie's Angels and Terminator Salvation, wanted to take a crack with Dwayne Johnson, but that version Never got off the ground. Fingers crossed all goes well with this one. We also had a couple of reviews go up in the past week. Adam Fleet reviewed a horror film called Veronica. Maybe you heard about this one. It's a horror film so bad and bizarre you may have to see it. This film which has been called The Room of Horror Films is currently streaming on Shudder. just to give you an idea it's a three-part horror anthology and one of the stories has a model who is encumbered romantically by the fact that she has eyeballs instead of nipples a bizarre fact that has absolutely zero relevance to any aspect of the plot and she also summons an eight-armed albino homicidal man spider known as the Neckbreaker. suffice it to say Adam gave it one out of five stars but did say while it is indeed dreadful it is in such a bizarre lunatic way that it really must be seen to be believed so check out that review we also had a review from from Glenn for The Secrets We Keep, a thriller starring Numi Rapace and Joel Kinnaman. This film, which currently has a very limited cinema release in Australia, is very similar to Roman Polanski's 1994 film Death and the Maiden, but they've never actually made it official that it's a remake. Which makes it all the more frustrating for Glenn who loves that film. Apart from the blatant plagiarism, Glenn thought the film wasn't good regardless. It has Numi Rapace playing a woman who kidnaps the guy she believes tortured her during the war and begins to torture him in her basement. Insisting that she's got the wrong guy, he refuses to confess to his crimes which leaves her husband more uncertain as to what is going on. In his review Glenn wrote, The Secrets We Keep is an uninspired carbon copy of a much better film, unassuming moviegoers may latch onto the compelling synopsis but ought to be disappointed with the lack of substance within he gave it two out of five stars that about does it for me guys also jump on screenrealm.com to check out the complete october release schedules for both stan and netflix that's up there now thanks so much for having me i'm out
7: welcome to bonehead weekly fun size so as much as we loved the shitty 90s horror rip-offs of scream, there's actually some good ripoffs of screams that we uh, screams of the screams. Why didn't they call scream <laughs> two screams?
8: Oh my god, they could have. And Why then
9: did they could have do that. Then what they, they could call have? three more screams or shrill. Scream three. That's what Alien Three did. That's what I was not say. <laughs> and then
7: Scream Four could have been a Scream Resurrection. <laughs> oh my God. It and then it could have been, been Scream versus i know what you did last summer or no it would have been scream versus i know what you did last summer requiem
9: scream five (laughs) the iron lung
7: you lost me on that one so really quick we're going to tell you some of the best scream ripoffs, and mine technically came out in 2000 but i want you to forgive me because it was really shot way before that and mine is cherry falls cherry falls has a distinct take on scream because the murderer kills who gentlemen virgins that's the reason why it's called cherry falls it's an interesting movie it's kind of flawed it doesn't have the best ending but what i find fascinating over it is due and i'm going to read this issues with the mpaa and censorship the film was never actually given a theatrical release in the united states and was released as a tv movie on the usa network it cost 14 million dollars gentlemen do you know at the time it was the most expensive television movie ever produced you know, the, that U4, makes sense. For the USA Network. Now, there had been there had been huge things for CBS, ABC. We could talk about The Stand, Roots, and whatnot for USA Network at $14 million. That was the most expensive thing they'd ever made.
8: Well, and The Stand <laughs> was a multi-night thing. But real quick about Cherry Falls. You know where I saw it for the first time was Comedy Central. I'm not making that
7: up. I think I may have rented hmm. it. And it was an inter- it's an interesting premise. It's directed by the guy that gave us, for you folks in Australia, Romper Stomper.
9: Uh, I'll go next. So mine's a little on the nose because it is a blatant ripoff of Scream, and that is the Faculty. But isn't it such a flawed movie? It I is a flawed movie, time. but John, but John Stewart's performance in that is worth the watch. And I'll be honest with you, uh, I'm going to bash on the internet like I do many other times. Uh, I thought about doing Bride of Chucky because it is listed as a as a movie inspired by Cream, uh, or, or Scream, yeah, not Korean. Yeah, on not top. Cream. <laughs> um bride of chucky is not a scream inspired by scream bride of chucky is inspired by child's play you idiots
7: oh actually more of a bride of frankenstein i'll argue with you there a little bit well it's
9: a combination of the two
7: Scream thrown in there yeah posters a blatant ripoff of scream
9: that it is but that's marketing being unoriginal but the texas
7: chainsaw massacre part two poster is a complete ripoff of the breakfast club that came out the year before right
9: so that's why I'm picking the faculty, just because it is entertaining. It is a blatant ripoff. It only exists because Scream was popular and it's entertaining for a few reasons, but it it like Joe said, flawed movie.
7: Directed by Robert Rodriguez you guys
9: has a fantastic cast. Yes.
7: Yeah. James. Which and Dimension ripped themselves off. It's another Dimension movie.
9: Yeah. Dimension Dimension said, Oh, this worked. Let's do it 30 more times. I'm going to go real quickly with a ripoff that
8: had the good decency to come out before screen. There's nothing out there. You've never heard of there's nothing out there. There's an entire article about it in the Atlantic that actually alleges that Wes Craven probably lifted some ideas from there's nothing out there. So I wanted to bring it up. The guy that made it made it at 19, wrote it at 19, got it made, his parents mortgaged their house, which shows that his parents had more faith in him than they had And this movie did get released in theaters, limited release in New York during a blizzard, and in L.A. right before the race riots. So nobody saw it. He took it, started to the film festivals, and then this up-and-coming producer by the name of Scott Craven said, Hey, my dad heard about your movie. He'd like to see your movie. All this is well-documented. Uh, the movie itself is about a guy that starts to notice weird things going on, like the cat jump scene and alien and all that stuff. He notices a cat jump out of it, no reason. He goes, there's no where that cat would jump out of. Why did that cat jump out? He realizes that he's in a horror film, and so he starts trying to manipulate himself. He start, starts manipulating everything else, trying to save his friends. And what happens? His friends don't listen to him. And guess what happens to them? They go on to see, have successful lies there.
7: because they ignore
8: <laughs> the There's nothing out there. Uh, eventually, did get re-released on DVD. I thought maybe Chad had seen it because guess who re-released it? Kaufman. Oh, he really? Released it under Trauma.
7: Thanks, guys. This has been Bonehead Weekly Fun Size. Please send all your hate mail to Chad Jennings via Glenn.
3: Huh. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Here's one that takes me back, all the way back to 1995, or more precisely, 96, when I was living in Vancouver and saw Empire Records for the first time. Crazy Life was the name of the song uh, by Toad the Wet Sprocket, and I wonder how many people actually remember them. Um, And now, we're actually going to do something a little bit different. Over the past few months, we've been talking to all kinds of filmmakers and actors, but today we're talking to someone who caught my attention not too long ago. I've been fascinated by positive social media influences for a little while now. And I'm not talking about those awful superficial plastic ones who crash all of our media screenings and take up valuable oxygen. (laughs) I'm talking about those few who use their online presence to put positive energy out into the world. And they're not in it for the money. They're not in it for the fame. In fact, they're usually quite shocked to have tens of thousands of followers, if not millions. And one of the first people to catch my attention when I first signed on to the TikTok app goes by the name of Taratown. And if you're on the app, you've probably scrolled past her account too. And it's been her particular penchant for 90s nostalgia that caught my eye. Her name is Tara Kerr, and she's been gracious enough to drop into today's episode. We have her on the line right now. Hey, Tara, how the heck are you?
1: Hey, Glenn, what's up? How are you?
0: I'm doing pretty good. It's been a while since I approached you, but I'm super thrilled that we're finally able to chat like this.
1: I know, right? (laughs) COVID's kind of put us in a bit of a pickle, but now we're here.
0: Oh, well, lemonade, right?
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: Now, before we reminisce about the good old days, let's uh, skim the surface and give people a little bit of a brief bio about who you are. I'm going to just say some things, correct me if I'm wrong. So you're from the southwestern part of Tennessee, have I got that right?
1: Yes, that's right.
0: And the travel bug hit you several years ago and amongst other places you visited Australia maybe seven years ago where you hung around for a while before finding a guy getting hitched and settling down in Melbourne.
1: Yes, (laughs) (laughs)
0: excellent excellent so of course you're an open book on your taratown tiktok account and uh, you regularly host live streams and you tell everybody your story so if there's anything any of our listeners want to know about you after the show they need to go and find you on tiktok follow your account and get the download
1: yeah that sounds good
0: (laughs) so i guess the obvious question for me right off the bat would be what compelled you to join tiktok in the first place
1: I was seeing TikTok videos show up in my Instagram feed, and I thought that they were really funny and really creative. And so, um, yeah, I just decided to hop on and see what it was all about, Um, just being a new social media platform. And once you get on, I I don't know if, if this was the case for you, Glenn, but once you get on, like you see one video and then. You scroll to the next and to the next and to the next, and you're just on there for like an hour looking at all these videos because they're, they're short form videos. I mean, most of them are only 15 seconds long. So um, it just, yeah, it draws you in very quickly and, and you get hooked on it very quickly as well. So,
0: yeah, particularly when I TikTok right before bed, like I lay there and I do a few TikToks, and before I know it, it's, you know, three o'clock in the morning. It's a, It can be a trap, but it's a fun trap.
1: Exactly. <laughs> it's not like, you know, it's not the typical social media platform where, you know, like on Instagram, it just seems like you're scrolling through through like a, just like a beautiful magazine, you know, whereas I feel like TikTok is more um, like a bit more authentic and people kind of just being themselves, dressing in whatever the heck they're wearing for the day and um, just just showing their creative juices, which I feel like people don't get to do as much anymore being a working adult, you know so
0: absolutely were you shocked by were you shocked by the amount of people who follow your content with total eagerness
1: dude yes (laughs) I am from a small (laughs) town in Tennessee so um yeah to receive as many followers as I have is just really crazy but it's been so awesome because you realize that you're like there's people just like you all around the world um because you know sometimes with you and your interest and your hobbies you kind of feel alone or you feel like other people can't connect, but the cool thing about the internet um, and on TikTok specifically is that I've been able to find other people that have similar interests as me. And um, yeah, it just makes it, it makes it really awesome to have a platform like that.
0: I think for your, your content, you're more of a motivator.
1: Yeah. Motivate. <laughs> right. Why, why so do you say that?
0: <laughs> why? I don't know, because when I scroll through TikTok, there's those few, and there are quite a few, but um, not many that when I land on their accounts, I want to go through all of their stuff because it just makes me happy. It makes me feel good. And it just motivates me, you know, as opposed to there's a lot, I mean, there's a lot there that are stupid, but there's not really a hook to get them scrolling through Mm -hmm. their, through their, through their accounts. But yours definitely does.
1: Ah, interesting. So what, 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 what was your first video that you saw of mine? Just curiosity.
0: Uh, well, for, people that don't know your your content you started dancing your way to a hundred thousand (laughs) yeah and i know i know you've abandoned that dance but that dance is definitely what caught my attention just because you did it in all different kinds of places it's a peculiar kind of dance yeah and it's almost hypnotic when you you have a whole scroll full of them
1: yeah yeah interesting yeah i know that's what a lot of people said for some reason that dance was one that tended to trend and it was really fun um for the amount of time that I did do it
0: but well, i I think it I think it speaks volumes for your integrity though the fact that you sort of did away with the dance because the you know the lyrics of the song itself you know, didn't sit well with you, so you gave it up you know you were actually you danced your way to two hundred thousand fans with that thing and you just you, know, you threw it away just because of your integrity
1: yeah the the song was in um was in portuguese and i didn't i didn't know what the lyrics were you know everybody was was dancing (laughs) to this particular song and um then when i finally found out the translation of the lyrics i asked myself if this was in english would i be dancing to this every day and i said no so it's got a really cool beat but yeah i think at the end (laughs) of the day you know my morals kind of go over any kind of follower count so we're doing a you know new we're just sticking solely on 90s i was doing that dance and i was doing 90s videos and now we're just kind of sticking solely to 90s still doing dancing like the carlton dance and we (laughs) dance to ice ice baby you know but um yeah yeah but it's cool i i i feel good about this change and yeah and i feel like a lot of people can relate to the nostalgic videos as well so
0: definitely well as i said a moment ago you mostly focus on nostalgia so obviously you're a child of the 90s um, what do you think sets the 90s apart from other decades?
1: Oh, that's a good question. What sets the 90s apart from different decades? I think, you know, the 90s just seemed like, and probably every generation says that. Back in my day, things were just, you know, a lot more <laughs> simple. Um, but I do feel like it was a cool place where, um, you know, the technology was just starting to kind of make its way into everybody's you know, houses and homes and... Um, baggy
0: pants and fluoro colors also?
1: Yes, baggy pants, fluoro colors. Um, but yeah, just being on the edge of having, you know, no technology and then to all of a sudden be able to log onto the internet, which I think was really cool. But yeah, it was just, I think not having an iPhone in your hand 24-7 was nice. <laughs> the music was just really nice. I think another thing was, um, you know, family-friendly TV shows. The whole family could watch, whereas I feel like everything nowadays is very individualized. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas back in the day, you know, all of us can kind of we we know which TV shows we've all seen because those were the only family shows that would play um, on the screen. So,
0: well, every every generation, right, has its particular decade that they're nostalgic for. And the last few years, I feel, has been heavily focused on the '80s, particularly in terms of movies and TV. Um, Mm -hmm. which means that the 90s is up next. So we've already had a movie last year called Mid-90s, which was fantastic. So maybe let's throw back and we might actually do this in a similar way that we do our rapid fire interviews. I'm just going to ask you some questions and let's see how we go. So if you cast your mind back, what did an average weekend look like for you in the 90s?
1: Well, I was a kid in the 90s. I was a late 80s baby, early 90s kid. So weekends usually consisted of some random hobby or sport that i was into probably like soccer or basketball um playing outside climbing trees um going on aol (laughs) and waiting for that little um connection to hit and hearing you've got mail that was like the highlight of my weekend probably (laughs)
0: yeah
1: yeah playing n64 golden eye you're an
0: n64 child (laughs) i was i was an i was an original nest child
1: yeah see yeah A little bit of a difference there.
0: (laughs) So obviously um, our show is all about movies. I'm wondering what were some of your staple movies from your childhood that you maybe watched over and over?
1: Ooh, I really loved Mrs. Doubtfire. That one I can still watch today and still puts a smile on my face. Anything with Robin Williams in it was spectacular. Um, Of course, all of the Disney movies, being a kid, Lion King, Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast. One underrated Disney movie that people don't know is a Goofy movie. Have you seen a Goofy movie?
0: I have got that listed to ask you about later.
1: Oh, dude, it is so underrated.
0: <laughs> Max, Maximilian, absolutely.
1: Yes. Um,
0: and an extremely Goofy movie too, part two.
1: Yes. But you know what? I haven't actually seen that one.
0: Yeah, it's, it's not as good, but oh, really? goofy movies fantastic. And um, yeah, I that era of Disney was like the renaissance of Disney. It sort of brought them back into yeah. you know, block, blockbuster status. Do you have fond memories of video stores?
1: Yeah, Blockbuster. That was the that was the video store to go to on a Friday night. You get your pizza, you go to Blockbuster. You hope that the movie you're looking for is behind that little box. <laughs> <laughs> If it's not, if it was a new release, it was pretty much not going to be there, but there was just that chance that it was. So that was always really exciting. Damn
0: straight. Most of my working life has been in video stores before.
1: Oh yeah? But
0: yeah, oh. I owned one. So for years it was sort of, that was, that was my thing. I was the video store guy, but um, all good things must come to an end, I guess.
1: Ah, so you were rivals with Blockbuster, were you?
0: Yes, actually I was. I was uh, be- Before I went completely independent and just became one of those sort of trendy niche little stores.
1: Yeah, nice. Yeah,
0: so the 90s also produced I think it's probably the best decade for movie soundtracks. Were you into movie soundtracks? You're probably a bit young for the 90s ones. Yeah, obviously.
1: I was a bit young I'd say, yeah. yeah the Disney soundtracks I was all over. <laughs>
0: yeah. Absolutely. Um, there, was a, there was a phase in the 90s where I was into that stuff too and I had like all of those Classic Disney CDs, which sort of was like a you know a collection of all the greats.
1: Yeah, I mean, good yeah, stuff. you can't go wrong with the Disney music.
0: Do you remember when movies, particularly in the 90s, used to always be attached? Particularly the big movies were always attached to a, like a blockbuster song, like a a hit song. Oh and yeah! They, and all the music videos had like the movie sort of sewn in into the music video.
1: Dude, that's so true. I don't know why I've, I've never really thought about that, but that's so that's so true.
0: Like I remember, um, what was it? Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, had that Brian Adams song. Everything I do, I do it for you. <laughs> yeah.
1: And Titanic, my heart will go on.
0: Absolutely. That was probably sort of towards the end of that era of these these fantastic tie-in songs. I love them. They're like yeah. power ballads.
1: Yeah. Exactly.
0: All right. So here's here's a slightly embarrassing question for you.
1: Oh no. <laughs> did,
0: did you did you have any teen stars pinned to your bedroom wall, even if it was in the two thousands?
1: Oh, you know what? I never was the girl that pinned the teen stars to my walls. Um, I did have like little secret crushes, but I didn't have them on my wall. Cause of course nobody, nobody can know. And do I dare <laughs> reveal them now? <laughs> <I don't know.
0: laughs> just just one, just one. Just
1: one. Um, oh, okay. We'll go with Jonathan Taylor Thomas. I mean, uh. <laughs> he was, you know, he was every girl's crush back in the day. So
0: Yes. I'll be home for Christmas.
1: Yes, I'll be home for Christmas. Home improvement.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. That's a good answer. Mine was probably Alicia Silverstone. Ah. And no. yes, I had her on my wall. <laughs> in, many, in many
1: places. <laughs> awesome.
0: If you could um if you could bring back a few things from the 90s, what do you think they would be?
1: Oh, if I could bring back like physical objects or like specific memories or
0: anything that you could bring from the 90s to now
1: there's just there's just so many to choose from so many things
0: that was 70s
1: (laughs) 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 that's jeopardy Uh, you australians don't do, do you know jeopardy
0: oh yeah we did used to have it
1: oh nice I didn't know that. I thought I thought that was just completely in America.
0: We had an, a short-lived Australian version in the 90s as well as the imported version from the States.
1: Um, okay, so let's see. If we could bring back anything from the 90s. I don't know if you guys... It would probably be a lot of, like, the 90s snacks. So, like, I was really into squeeze it. <laughs> There was, like, a liquid drink called squeeze it. I don't know if you guys had that. I was addicted to those things. I freaking <laughs> love those things. Um. But yeah, what else? The 3D Doritos. Those were so good. What else? What else from the 90s snacks are now discontinued? There's so many. <laughs> but yeah, I would just say the 90s snacks.
0: Snacks. That's a that's a good that's a good choice because um yeah, I'm I'm thinking back and some of the best chocolate bars were from the 90s.
1: What, what were your favorites?
0: I don't know if you had them over there, but because Cabri wasn't as big over there as it is here, and there was one called the Cabri Slab. And ah. it, was like just a, it was like a brick of chocolate. Oh, yum. <laughs> just, <laughs> Sounds like my kind solid. of chocolate. <laughs> yeah. I don't
1: think we had that over there, but if we did... I'd
0: be all over it. Um, well, anyway, uh, like I said earlier on, um, we're doing things a little different to the norm today, and no doubt uh, my fascination with people like Tara will see a few other people like her come on the show and talk about what they do. And Tara, you're one of those people that I can really that really lifts my spirits when I'm having a shit day. Uh, I know that at lunchtime at work or whatever, I can just sort of open my TikTok, there you are, picks me up. So. Thank you so much for all that. And thanks for being silly and fun online. It's great.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Well, that makes me happy to hear. And it's awesome to um, connect with you and to go on your show.
0: Well, thanks so much for being here. And um, look, it's great meeting new people and getting new perspectives on things like this. So we are going to do it a little bit more often with a lot of other people who are in a similar position to you. And perhaps sometime down the line, we can maybe get you back on to sift through more 90 stuff. But for now, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so
2: much.
1: Sweet. Thank you. (laughs)
2: Hey, guys, it's Adam here from Adam's Just Scene with another Good Movie Monday recommendation. We are doing the 90s. What is my number one film of the 90s? Look, I'm just going to shoot. I'm just going to go for it. It's Terminator 2, Judgment Day. Now, I am obsessed with this movie. I can't get enough of it. There are a bunch of movies that I love from the 90s. Fight Club's my favourite movie, right? Like, just hands down. But i got to be true. i got to be true to my soul. i got to be true to Arnold and James Cameron, who just took the concept... Uh, that I already loved in Terminator 1. And I know that there are these people out there that do the T1 versus T2 as they do the alien versus the aliens, but T2 rocks, man. And the idea too as well that Cameron could take the villain of the first film and then turn him into arguably or inarguably in my case, the greatest father figure in movie history is just so rock and roll. Cameron is a dude that we have seen time after time just have the craziest imagination. And T2 basically represents the first time, I think, in cinema history, that a dude with an imagination of his caliber was just given a shitload of money and no constraints. Anything that he could imagine, he had the craftspeople and the money around it to bring it onto the screen. And so what we get is action sequence after action sequence after action sequence that just keeps topping each other, topping each other and just Every single time I see it, it blows my wig off. I'm jumping on the couch, Tom Cruise style. I fucking love it. Everyone in this cast is so on their game. Linda Hamilton is the most badass bitch in cinema history in this, sorry Sigourney. My God, Sarah Connor just rocks so hard in this. The brilliance of having this Panther-like liquid metal Terminator up against Arnie's big tank, the Robert Patrick performance is just incredible. Uh, It it gave me nightmares when I saw it. I still remember to this day, right, there are a lot of movies that were uh, way above uh, my pay grade when I was a kid and I wasn't allowed to go and see them and my father would. Now he wasn't, He was really never been into movies as much as I am. And I remember him coming back from Terminator 2 and I'm like, Dad, what was the movie like? And he's like, son, the guy's the floor and then he's not the floor and then he's liquid and then he stabs people and like my childlike imagination just went apeshit with that concept i'm like what are you even talking about and so it wasn't until i got a beat up secondhand copy from video easy that i actually saw what they were talking about now i have had the luxury of being able to see this film on the big screen honestly maybe about five or six times now if it is playing i start running i am going i will never Ever turn this film off. I've been in the pub before and it came up on the corner telly and everyone in the pub just stopped, sat there and watched this whole goddamn movie. That's the pulling part power of T2. T2 cannot be topped. It is the best science fiction movie. It is the best sequel. It is the best action movie. It is the best Arnold movie. I just I'm going to go and watch it now. I've just <laughs> I've ripped myself up too much, but um I my the only sad thing about T2 for me is that we didn't get the t3 that we deserved i mean we've had a lot of terminator sequels glenn will probably defend them but every time because of this high watermark i'm just so sad that i haven't got to revisit that world you know the metallic hues that incredible score and yeah just that bone crunching action you know and the film, I mean, look I've listened to every audio commentary, I've watched every behind-the-scenes things that I can. Cameron's got this thing too as well with his intricate world building where he can explain every concept as well. Like every little detail, he's like, oh yeah, the Terminator moves this way, he does that, he does that, he, yeah, he weighs this much. Like, he's really thought that shit out and that's why it's just an absolute all-timer for me. Uh, you know, like some just off the top of my head other films that I just cannot get enough of from the 90s, Boogie Nights. Good fellas, obviously Fight Club. But um yeah, but look, if I'm just if I'm in a rut and I need to be elevated by cinema, T2 is where I go to. So if you haven't seen it, I'm not even angry. I'm just so profoundly jealous that you will get to lay your eyes on this film. So go and check it out. That's my this is this couldn't be my this gotta be my biggest recommendation for the whole goddamn year. T2 Terminator Judgment Day.
0: Alright, well, even though we spent you no know, whole lot of time recommending movies from the 90s just before. Uh, I reckon we recommend two more. But first, uh, if you want to score a copy of The Faculty on DVD, plus the new release sci-fi horror film 3022 from Eagle Entertainment, then let me know what movie was advertised in the TV spot earlier in the show. Send your entries to glenn at fakeshemp.net, but get in quick because they do get snapped up really fast. But okay, it's um here come our recommendations. If you're new to the show, then please join us on the Good Movie Monday Facebook page and share your thoughts about these films. Track them down, give them a look, and see what you think, mate. I went first earlier. Do you want to take the lead on this one?
4: Sure. This week, I I kind of now I wish I'd have chosen a film from the '90s. I'm actually I have no idea when this film was made, but I think it was in the 2000s. Uh, and i I think I've I've recommended some of his films before. Uh, Luc Besson is, is one of my favourite filmmakers. Uh, he makes phenomenal films. And uh, this week, I'm recommending uh, one of his later films, uh, Angel A, or Angela, depending on how you want to say it. Uh, it stars uh, Jamal Deboos, mm-hmm. uh, who's married to one of the hottest newsreaders on the planet, and uh-huh. uh, uh, Rhee Rasmussen, the supermodel uh, that you may or may not remember from the from a sizzling uh, encounter in uh, the Brian De Palma <laughs> film *Femme Fatale*. Um, Excellent inflection on sizzling, sizzling, a sizzling. Um, <laughs> they're Basically, uh, they're both both Jamal and Ange- and Angela are a kind of are on a bridge in in Paris, uh, about to kill themselves for various reasons. Jamal is there because he owes a uh, some nasty people a lot of money, and you don't really know why. Rie Rasmussen is there, but um, basically he's about to kill himself. But then he sees her and freaks out and runs and and basically saves her from from killing herself. So she decides to thank him. She's going to become his kind of guardian angel. And then the rest of the movie is kind of like a a um a after hours esque romp through Paris, uh, the Paris nightlife. And it is just it, it's an exceptional film, and it's. Um, Kind of it's it's heartwarming as well. Like it's not your kind of typical Luc Besson um yeah. kind of high octane action movie. It's just a really kind of nice drama, but it does have kind of some action elements in it.
0: I also love Luc Besson, but I have not seen that one. So I'm gonna add that to my list. Hopefully over the next week. I wanna watch it.
4: It's excellent. I highly recommend it, as I have just done on the show.
0: <laughs> you know, I think I've said before on the show, I'm particularly fond of the movies that Luc Besson produces mm. these days. I just think there's a, there's a little bit more meat to the stuff he produces and the stuff he directs, these days anyway. Yeah. Okay, well, um, here we go. This is a film that I've spoken about several years ago on the podcast. In fact, I may have recommended it then, but I think that it's a film that, um, it's a definition of underground cult film, and it's generally forgotten by most. It's from the 90s. It is... Adam Rifkin's The Dark Backwards, starring Judd Nelson, Bill Paxton, James Kahn, Wayne Newton, and Lara Flynn Boyle. And now, this is what good midnight movies should be if such a thing still existed. So, Judd Nelson plays a garbage man who is an amateur stand up comedian, but he's possibly the, the least funny man on earth. Um, but with the encouragement from his psychopathic best friend, who is Bill Paxton, playing a complete dickhead, um, he perseveres, he gets booed off stage every night, but then when he suddenly grows a third arm out of his back, he discovers his niche and becomes a sudden overnight success. And Wayne Newton is hilarious in this one. He plays the talent manager who spent his entire career looking for a three-armed comedian. And it is surreal, it's nightmarish, the dark backwood, demands your attention, it is an amazing theatrical poster. If you've, you probably know the poster more than the film itself. And Adam Rifkin has never been better than, than this one.
4: I have, I have never heard of this film and it, it shocks me that I haven't because it sounds absolutely amazing.
0: And when he, when he grows his arm, it begins with like, he's got a lump on his back and he thinks it's like a malignant tumor. And his doctor is James Kahn and his doctor sort of, you know, Covers it up with, um, with you know, gauze or whatever. But when he takes the gauze off a few weeks later, there's fingers. And suddenly this arm just grows out of his back. It's phenomenal. Bill Paxton. It's an R-rated film because it's very... I think Bill Paxton is a necrophiliac, if I'm not mistaken. He finds a corpse when he's at the dump. And he fucks it. Um... <laughs> and that's supposed to be fine it is funny but you, know, you, you it
4: sounds absolutely amazing i'm like i like i said i'm shocked that i i've, I've never heard of it and it, it, and it I just, mean,
0: it looks good i i would desperately love to see this as a midnight movie like yeah. at a theatrical screening um but anyway so there we go there's our recommendations good stuff mate um we've reached the end of the show and we haven't even scraped the surface uh we hope you enjoyed the show. How about we continue the conversation online? So head over to our Facebook page or YouTube channel and share some thoughts on your favourite 90s movies with us in the comments section below this episode. Muchas gracias to Jarrett Guillermo and Adam and uh, also those Kentucky legends from Bonehead Weekly. Cheers to you, Ben, for riding shotgun. That was a bit of fun.
4: It was indeed. I had, a, I had a great time. I'm looking forward to covering more 90s films in the future.
0: Yeah, I think we might have to dedicate an entire month to the 90s. I'm down with that. And most of all, thanks to you for listening. Please help us promote the show by sharing it on your socials. Don't forget to look out for our midweek videos. On Tuesday, I'll be doing Rapid Fire with Tara Kerr. And then on Thursday, Ben and I will be doing another round of Spitball. And this week, we're going to leave you with a great song called Ripper Soul by Stomp. And it's from the Tank Girl soundtrack. Have a great week, everyone. We'll see you next Monday.